Welcome to the D-Spot Podcast. Dr. Dana McNeil is a licensed marriage and family therapist who specializes in working with couples using the Gottman Method. Her evidence-based practice provides support for the wide range of relationship issues that modern couples face. By using her open, affirming, and outside-of-the-box thinking, Dr. Dana is able to approach her work with couples by bringing both insights and tools that reflect the realities of today's complicated relationships. Dr. Dana features guests on her podcast that include a unique array of celebrities, CEOs, influencers, and everyday folks who are all working on navigating new conversations about how society views what goes into a successful relationship. And now, here's your host, Dr. Dana McNeil. Hello, welcome to the D-Spot Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Dana McNeil, and this is the podcast about all things relationships and people in them. You are in for a treat. This lady, Renee, does so many things and is so impressive and is such a delightful spirit that I'm so excited to introduce you to the podcast today. Hello, Renee Barabo. How are you? Hello, Dr. McNeil or Dana. Uh, it's really great to be here with you because you were, you came to our Emerging Themes Conference last year and being a, the conference organizer for that, there was not a lot of time to connect, but I heard wonderful things about your presentation. Ah, well, what Renee is referring to is she is a dynamo who put together this conference called Emerging Behaviors. What was the full title of it? Emerging Behaviors in... Emerging Themes and Behavior Hub. Yes, that. And it was beautifully done. It was at UCLA on the campus and the hotel was stunning and you were delightful and, and just so warm and engaging. I mean, all the emails that you sent for me to speak and how well you took care of all of us, it was it was a real treat. So thank you for inviting me to participate. That's what she's referring to for those of you that are like, what are the heck are you guys talking about? So you not only do that, but you also work in behavioral health, right? And you're mm -hmm. a shaman. So you are like on, and she's in Woodby Island where she made an extraordinary house. So you need to know this person. So Tell us a little bit about the behavioral health group that you work with. What's your role there? So my role at uh, Renewal Behavior Health is um, branding and marketing manager. So I oversee developing of logos, a newsletters, events, mm -hmm. uh, all of the things that isn't necessarily, I support the business development team, but I do all of the fun things that go along with it, like the networking events and the websites, all the kinds of back of the house things. And you get the word out about the need for people to go into inpatient programs, right? Because talk a little bit about what an inpatient program is. So if I have a loved one that has a substance issue or an eating disorder or some sort of problematic behavior, and we find ourselves needing to seek out support or consider um, a partner or a family member going into some sort of recovery program where they live there, right? Yeah. Or an intensive outpatient. What does that look like for those people that have never contemplated that? So there's two aspects of what we do. We have the addiction component and we have the behavioral health side. And when I got sober 35 years ago, at that time, there wasn't co-occurring. There was, you either go to a hospital where you can get psych evaluations or you could go to like a care and treatment center where you could have the 12-step model. And so over the last, you know, 30 years, thank goodness, we've started to understand that behavioral health 
usually uh, most 60% of the people who have struggled from addiction also have behavioral health issues. And, and that's probably a low estimate. And so if you, some things can be handled at home, but I know for myself, uh, when I was 33, I was running a restaurant, I was overwhelmed and I needed a timeout and a timeout from everything, including the relationships, the family, the work, and so I went into an inpatient treatment center. And so that's a level of really needing that, you know, that extra support. And, you know, it took me two weeks. It, it all depends. Some people are there for two weeks. Some people are there for, you know, six months. It all depends on what you need. But what we do is we offer a structured environment where there's, you know, a psychiatrist, a, an RD, like a dietitian in a lot of our programs, a chef. So that basically you take all of the things that day-to-day -day living uh, impose upon you and re take those off your shoulder for a minute to really seek deeper treatment. And then outpatient, and outpatient is for some people who are functioning okay, they're working okay, but they need that added support. But a continuum of care, we, you know, they've done so much research on that when you get out of an inpatient treatment, the people who are most successful in both behavioral health and addiction go to a more, an outpatient. I think the success rate jumps to like 60, 80% if you continue your care. Yeah, you brought up a really important point. And I think a lot of us don't think about this co-occurring piece, right? Maybe somebody didn't grow up in a household that felt like it supported them or that their needs were checked in or that they grew up with good coping skills. And so you turn to a substance as a way to deal with that pain, right? Mm -hmm. And so you use it as a way to treat your mental health issue. And then when you have that thing taken away from you, I call it, you have it taken out of your toolbox, right? I pull out the alcohol or I pull out a prescription medication and now I'm just stuck with me and mm -hmm. I don't have any coping skills, that's incredibly overwhelming, right? And so you're giving someone the space to like focus on what are the things that are happening with my mental health issue? I get a chance to step away from the substance and how it impacts my mental health. And now I get to start gathering some new tools in my toolbox. And that takes time and energy. Mm -hmm. In fact, I'm 35 years sober, you know, I did a, a, a webinar with our chief clinical officer, Tiffany, Dr. Tiffany Dizova last week, and they were talking about clothing or they were talking about something or or our new eating disorder, uh, Margo. And I realized that, wow, I've always worn baggy clothes mm -hmm. and I never considered it as a trauma response. So we're talking, we're onions. We peel a layer, we peel a layer, we peel a layer. And so for me, recovery is an ongoing process. It's not a, a one and done. Yeah. How do relationships get impacted when we've created a dynamic and maybe perhaps one of us is enabling that to happen because of our own trauma or our own history? What starts happening to a relationship once one of us starts to get clear and get clean and sober and want to have different coping skills? How is that received in the relationship? Oh, that's like, do you have a couple of hours? How about, a, <laughs> how about the last 30 years? I'll give you. <laughs> so everything, you know, and here goes my shamanism. Everything is interrelated. We all breathe the same wind. So you don't change one part of a dynamic 
and then expect that everything else is going to stay status quo. So when you move a piece, everything shifts. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I think that was, I've been out of a relationship for a very long time because I didn't necessarily have the capacity to hold the pain that I created in my dysfunctional relationships. And let me backtrack with that. So I had a relationship with somebody who couldn't stay sober. Mm. And so I went to Al-Anon and they said, you know, Renee, you can be okay whether or not the alcoholic is drinking or not. And then when I was in so much pain, I couldn't even imagine that that, that was ever a possibility of taking a, a step aside so that I could love somebody. And I had to tell you, there was a lot of things where in AA, I got to this feeling of superiority at one point where I can stay sober, you can't, I'm better than you, you're a worthless piece of shit. And it's just not the case. If you think about your life, imagine we all have people we love who have some kind of an ism. You know, very rare you'll find, whether it's a family member, a loved one or whatever, and so if we, we are in judgment of that, that spiritual path that they've chosen to walk, you'll never have that stasis that to me, recovery, like, you know, to be in the continuum of, I only swing from here to here is so important, especially when I was in my youth, I'd swing from here to here. And most of it was dysfunctional or some of it was manic and there was no, no thing. So. So relationships are by nature dynamic. Think the word relationship, it's, it's moving, it's this. And so the best test of your spiritual condition always is, how am I doing with people who are not doing what I want or giving me what I need at the moment? Hmm. And so we used to have a dynamic then when someone was in their ism, right? Mm -hmm. That now if one of us gets out or we both get out, we're out of step with each other and we have mm -hmm. to find a new way to flow in our relationship. Or what you're saying is that sometimes we aren't going to be able to still maintain the relationship because there's so much shift in the dynamic. Or you have to, you know, in this particular relationship, 30 years later, still my closest friend, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. lives two, five miles down the road and I've come to understand that that's one hell of a hard path that, you know, that she chose to walk. And I have compassion. I have compassion where I used to have rage. And I think that was a big turning point for me. But, you know, beyond that, relationships were the place of my greatest wounding, mm -hmm. you know, just because of what I witnessed as a child. And, and you know, so, someone once somebody said to me you know you might want to stay out of relationships for a while i think i took it to heart and i stayed out maybe a little too long because now i'm so self-sufficient you know it's really hard to to say like oh do i really want somebody to you know interfere with my travel plans or my life but that might not be the best solution either so understanding that you know we're two people doing the best we can how do you learn to navigate and have deeper conversations and in this particular situation, we've learned to treat each other better over the years through conversation, through dialogue, through periods of not talking, through periods of saying, hey, that doesn't work for me anymore. And learning to respect that no matter 
how far down somebody can go with their disease that they're still they're still a divine child of God or however you want to refer to that and they just have a much different walk than you this time mm, that's beautiful I love I love how you combine the shaman spiritual part of going through your journey of whatever it is that found its way on your path your ism I like that very much how does your program or how does a program prepare then somebody that's newly sober that they're going to have to also be prepared to have a different shift in a relationship is that well, the reason yeah the reason I'm working for a Monterre behavioral health and renewal health group is that uh, both of the owners are rabbis and <laughs> I didn't so, know that that's interesting okay and it's not talked about very much but they have that same deeply spiritual you know my boss is trying to is working on this thing called the discovery model because he believes that where there's a why there's a way hmm. and so a lot of times we get separate from our why and when we're separate from our why the way can be so off off base but when you just you... get way off out of into the weeds because you don't know what path you're supposed to go on is your why is not your north star right and so the why has always been you know i don't know if it's been my grandiose north stars like i've always felt like i came here to you know help humanity at this time of utter chaos that we're we're in and now we're in utter chaos just because we're at the end of an you know an epoch you know an end of a time which is very much a natural cycle but then we put in relationships with other people in this extreme chaos and it, it's just causing a lot of confusion and it's hard to really know where that north star is for a lot of people at this moment is that part of what a good recovery program will have is starting to help your clients understand the why and that the the ism is keeping them from staying clear on the why i believe in that you know a lot of times in 30 days all you can do is lift the fog yeah, if, and, so let's go on the addiction it. side. The fog gets lifted. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some people with the fog gets lifted, they're like, oh, I want more of this clear. And other people, you know, it takes a little, maybe a, a, a windy tree branch to get there. But that's what you can hope for in 30 days. And then hopefully they have a great therapist like you or, you know, somebody, some support at home to keep growing. Because if I'm telling you that after 35 years, I'm just realizing that I wore baggy clothes when I had a pretty stellar body because of a trauma response um, to abuse as a child. Yeah. I mean, it takes a while to really, to really, and I have a strong why, but you only, you know, they say in AA, you're only given as much as you can handle at a particular time. And so this year for me, it's been about the trauma, the body, the physical, you know, even looking at how I stand. Mm. So it's a lifetime process. We're not like trying to get a goal like over here. It's a journey that we're on. It's going to be with us the rest of it. This is just the first 30 days, but you're on this path for the rest of your life. Hopefully either that or you die or you you know so a question that comes up a lot for clients when they're working with a partner that's in recovery and they don't recognize having their own ism even though i agree that everybody has one it might be shopping or reality tv or whatever is pc right but we have them how do you help 
the person who doesn't have the ism that they go into recovery for understand and validate the other person's struggle. Because what I almost hear happening for some of my clients is that you're choosing that over our relationship. And that makes me cringe because I know that it does, it doesn't, but how do you explain that to the, to the partner that is like, yeah, why don't you just choose to be sober or choose me over your substance? Well, again, it's a relationship. So it takes two and you know, we, we find something that's going to actually make us work deeper in our own spiritual life. And so it does, it's not one person having the experience, it's two people and then the combined experience of the, the three of, you know, this, this, you know, the thing they call when you get a union, it's a third energy that unites itself. And it's really hard because oftentimes the loved one is at their end of their wits. Mm -hmm. they, you know, so you've been disappointed for so many years and kept believing that this time would be the time that we didn't have this entity in our life anymore. And they're tired. Right. So you're tired. So the best thing is it would it'd be really nice if everyone could go to camp for a month, you know, like that, why the other person's there. And I know like really a lot of good programs have family programs and ours isn't, is not nearly as developed as because a few years ago there when the insurance company they, they just started dismantling health care but when we were at michael's house i was at they had a great family program that would be for a weekend where mm. the parents or the family would work separately the patient would come in for a little bit of it and then you know they would have this time because it's it's not one or the other it's a system and you know we'd like to blame the person who's causing all the dysfunction and not take any of the responsibility when i know for a fact that my bad behaviors was something that certainly caused a lot of energy for it's a system and it's, it's a dynamic between a system so you know again it's that wind you you blow the wind here and it knocks it off there so I learned over these 30 years in this really kind of soul type of relationship with somebody is that when we were honestly trying to keep our own side of the street clean, mm. that sometimes I'll never forget one time where she decided not to talk to me for several months. Oh, wow. But there was a point where it was, it worked all right because it was her growing in her own space. Ah. Her coming into her own relationship and then one day she called and it was like, and you have to, I've learned is when it's coming from somebody's truth, as opposed to somebody's manipulation, that the relationship has a chance to grow. But if you're doing something to get for yourself, like if I, if I can just be kind to you one more hour so that you're going to love me more, it's never going to work. But if I can grow and be kind to myself for one more hour, I might have more tolerance and patience for the relationship to have a space enough to grow. Hmm. I love that. Yeah, I I definitely think of, you know, this triangle, right? And we're at the two ends if we're in a relationship and the ism is at the point, right? And so mm -hmm. if we don't team up against the ism, if I point my finger at you and say, why don't you love me enough to stop? And you point back at me and say, you don't understand what it's like to have an ism. 
we're right. not going to team up, right? We're not treating it like the cancer that it is that has infested our relationship. And if your partner literally had cancer, you'd go with them to doctor's appointments, you'd take notes for them, you'd do research on the kind of chemotherapy, you'd get them a cute hat, right? When they lost their hair, you'd be treating them as a team member versus this thing that you're making a choice to have happen to you. Absolutely. I agree with that. I love that. I never looked at it that way, but but I have looked at it at the, you know, that you would treat somebody, how would you treat somebody who has cancer? But I never looked at it as, as the relationship being that third, that pinnacle on the triangle, because in the AA model, you know, it's service, unity, and I forget the third one, but the triangle is a really good model for those types of things. And in the shamanic culture, my friend used to always tell me that in her village, in her village, when somebody had a schizophrenic break and jumped into the count the town fountain naked, what they would do is they take the person out, dry them off with a towel, wrap them with a blanket and bring them home. In our culture, what we do is we put people in encampments, homeless encampments on the street begging. And we don't, we think that if they're over there, they're not us. We lock them away out of sight because it's uncomfortable and it feels too close to what could happen to us and we don't know how to handle it. So we don't deal with it. Exactly. And it is us. It's an aspect of ourselves. It's the side of ourselves that we're hopefully, you know, in, in maintaining that we're not reflecting out into the world in the moment. But, you know, therefore the grace of God go I. And I say that from watching people really struggle and being in, in this behavior healthcare industry for 10 years, I've seen the glory of people really making it. And there was a time when I was the alumni coordinator and there was a, a month where every two days there was a death going by on my desk. And I'm thinking like, am I so special that I'm going to love this person into an overdose and that's not to saying that you that you can control somebody else's drug use because you can't and i think that's the first step of being a partner of an addict is to understand their disease has nothing to do with you how many of us are able to not personalize something that our partner does that's that is a that is the key question, right, for all of us couples. How do I not personalize the fact that my partner's in a bad mood and needed to have a drink to try to calm down? That's their coping skill versus a reaction to you. I think exactly. That's awesome. And it's that's the work of the spirit mm -hmm. is to be able to get there and say, you know, what God doesn't really make junk. And so they're having their spiritual experience. And I'm having my spiritual experience and we're together having a third spiritual experience. And hopefully what I've learned over time is that with that kind of a compassionate heart, that the time that I spend with the person who may or may or may not be able to get sober is lovely. And it took a long time to get there. I'm not <laughs> a long time. Is that part of your journey of being a shaman? We have to talk about this. How does one become a shaman? What oh. does that mean? What Tell us. So I believe shamans are called, and I'm probably the most reluctant shaman ever. Like, you know, I keep getting plucked out of the, you know, the crowd. And I mean, there was a point when you talked about it perfectly earlier when you said, so you take the substance out of the human. Three years later, I couldn't get out of bed. 
you know, I was so depressed, you know, a long abuse and all of that. And when there was nothing to cope with, it's like I collapsed in. So when I went to treatment, I picked the, the psych ward because I wanted, I wanted to understand the brain. And he said, you know, they wanted to put me on lithium and Zoloft. And I was, I owned a restaurant. And so I was like, I took the lithium and I'm like, my 14 hour day became a 16 hour day. And I'm there, no, no, this can't, this, this isn't how I can get to my big mission and other people, you might need it. So I don't, I'm not judging, but for me, I took the long, hard spiritual path, found myself an Ayurvedic doctor and found myself at a fire walk with a nun, like wow. within, within months of getting out of the treatment facility. Holy and God. it was a hard road. Because like, you had to sit with those thoughts. Let's talk about that journey, right? You had used substances to help you not have to deal with stuff. Now they're not in your mental health tool bag. And all the things that you haven't been dealing with for all those years come flooding at you. And you're like, holy crud, what do I do with this chit chat that's happening? I'm believing most of it. I don't have any like successful coping skills yet because I'm still new in my sobriety, even though three years is still, you know, still feels like a drop in the bucket compared to what you were going through. And you said, let me take this hard route and do something completely out of character for me or in my wheelhouse and I go hang out with a nun who's stepping on hot coals. Right. Astonishing. (laughs) It was kind of astonishing, but I knew I knew that I didn't like the way I felt on the medication. And side effect and being able to tolerate four to six weeks of side effects when you have to run a business, we can't lie and pretend that that doesn't have an impact on people. And it's not the right path for everyone. And it's not, and you know, and I did a lot of the medicine works that are now showing up in the behavioral health field over the years. And, you know, that's a different conversation for a different day, but you know, I went to Peru, I did the pilgrimages. I did, it wasn't like I wasn't working hard at being the best version of myself as possible so that I could show up in all of my relationships. Mm-hmm. We're talking about work relationships. Relationships just isn't your sexual partner. It's all of your relationships. And so how do you show up as, you know, a good citizen to your family? And all of that, those things really took me years of doing the spiritual cleaning out. I did a very, very thorough uh, fourth, fifth, and sixth step. And I went and actually made all of the amends. I flew around and I, I unfurled the knots that were holding me hostage all of those years and really um, got to a place where I could be in the silence. Hmm. Because that's, that's a nice gift to give yourself. That was a lot of work to get there, but. Yeah, I wish there was an easier path for people, but there wasn't one for me. Yeah, but it led you to wanting to pursue this as something that you do in the work that you do with other people. How do you help people as a shaman who are in a similar place as you? Well, I'm more of a business minded person. So I do, I lead an apprenticeship where I do some business coaching and actually being out of relationship. uh, I had a, a practice in LA and Everyone who came to see me was in a relationship. It was the craziest thing. Um, They were all in their young 30s at the time, and they were either trying to get in a relationship, get it married. And so I worked with a lot of young people who now have two kids who, you know, one was going serial, you know, one night stands is now, you know, married with two kids. I mean, it just, it's, it's mind 
blowing that I took my own wound of relationship and help used it to help other people overcome the difficulties because what I learned was that it's not something you do it from the sidelines. Yeah. You have to get in there and get dirty and you can't, as I like to tell my clients, you can't go around it. You have to go through it. And so having a shaman there to give you that spiritual peace or to give you that support must really feel amazing for your clients that are brave enough to do it. Yeah. The ones who have done really well, it's really heartwarming, but you know, shamans really have only been concerned with the health of the community, you know, procreation for the longevity of the community and you know, the food sources and things like that. We took it away from, oh, let's do the magic of the shamans instead of how is the community growing and thriving and the first community that we all know is our families and then our extended relationships. So it's really, it's really just getting back to our roots of what's important and what's our priorities. So how would somebody combine working with a shaman and also going to a behavioral health? Is there an overlap there where those two could work together? There absolutely is. Um, We've just created a new company called Conscious Health, where we're starting to offer some of the alternative types of evidence-based treatments into a model where you can, once you're through the 30 days or once you're at the end of the 30 days, you can start to support those transformations like things like TMS. They didn't have TMS when I couldn't get out of a darkened room for three days every month. So now tell those I, people listening who don't know what TMS, I do, tell them what it is so that they have an understanding of it. It's called uh, transmagnetic stimulation. Mm-hmm. And what it is is that they pinpoint the areas of, of your brain by brain mapping that have uh you know, trauma, and they start to empower it. It's like a modern day shock therapy, but it's like- think of it more as like a magnet, right? It's pulling very, very broken down. It's like (laughs) pulling the bad parts away with a magnet that's like trying to help balance the chemicals in your brain that are leading to your depression. Absolutely. But in 30 some years ago, what I did was I listened to the shaman who said, you know, you can map neural pathways through your brain. Think about it. You're not using a lot of it. So I started doing left and right brain activities and doing all of these things to consciously create new loops because my old loops weren't working. So I wrote a lot of positive affirmations. In fact, I have an article uh, just came out uh, that is called Do Positive Affirmations Really Work? And Mm -hmm. I'm happy to share it with you yeah, for your readers or for your listeners. Show notes if you want to have the link, because yeah, there's you do so much. Like I think I could fill a day with five different podcasts of all the things that you know about and that you understand, and that I love that if people have you in their life, it's very integrated. That you know many things and you can touch on many different aspects of life, of addiction, of spirituality, of like behavioral health. I mean, you're you really are somebody that is inspirational because you don't ever stop everything that you care about. You just keep adding to your world and making it a better <laughs> place. And I'm, I'm really grateful for that. If somebody is listening and they want to know if they're somebody that should be considering going to a behavioral health facility like yours, what should they be thinking about? What should they be looking at? What's important to know? One of the biggest things is if your life isn't working like on a consistent basis, like you can't that you miss many days a month from work mm-hmm. that you can't, you know, as as happy as you try to be, you can't. Mm-hmm. 
you know, your relationships just keep failing over and over again. If you, you know, if you are binge eating or withholding, if you're, you know, over concerned with, with the way you look, things like that, but not at a level of, you know, sometimes a good outpatient could help you right there, but it's really more when you're, when you're not functioning, you know, really when you can't get out of your own way and you want to. How would a partner that sees that happening and maybe has a partner that's not embracing that or is in denial about it, how would they approach someone? Would they do research with your company first and say like, hey, I need to know all the pieces and parts so I can prepare my family member or like how would it be a good way to start those conversations? Uh, you can reach out to me and I would definitely, uh, um, what I'm gifted at is knowing which which uh, treatment placement specialists that we work with who would be ideal for your family. Like, so I have friends and some have, you know, have long relationships, some have other kinds of relationships. So it's a really finding the right fit of the person who can talk to both of you. Yeah. Because and it's not a one thing. And who has the temperament, right? I mean, I guess right. that's why I keep coming back that you're such a nice resource because not everybody's approach is going to work for everybody. So some of us are very like, what's the evidence-based scientific, you know, CBT mode and, and what's AA mode and what's the shamic mode, right? And so I love that you're this one-stop shop for whatever is the temperament of the person that's coming in that they'll feel embraced and, and well-handled. Absolutely. And, you know, it, it might be a process that takes, be gentle, six months. There's some interventionists who, who've worked with a family for a year before they even um, approach the person with the addiction, because a lot of the times the issue is in the family system. I've worked with people that I knew that I would only get so far with because the mother didn't want to see her part. Mm. And she had a, a big part. And you know, so she had to a lot to lose in her. She had a lot to lose in her partner being in recovery or her child being her in child. Yes. And it's really hard as parents. I just I, my heart goes out to so many parents who are struggling with their children who have emotional issues and behavioral issues and addictive issues because you want to do everything in your power to fix it and you can't. So for those that are going through awaiting a partner to finish going through an inpatient program, what words of wisdom do you have to share with them or support? You know, you can do it online now, so there's really no excuse. The CODA meetings, the Al-Anon meetings, or get personal therapy so that you have somebody to go to when all of a sudden your partner is going to an AA meeting after dinner and you're, you know, feeling left out, that you have somebody, not that person, to share that pain with. So get support for you. Don't just assume that you're supposed to be support for your partner, but it takes a village and you need to find what resonates with you so that you can stay grounded and you can deal with the fact that you might be disappointed or you have some resentments or you have some energy that you need to dispel that's coming up for you. Absolutely. That's why in the big books of Alcoholics Anonymous, there's a chapter to the wives. A little sexist back then, but the you know. Partner. The partner, they might have changed it over the year, but you know, Lois was not feeling so good when they everyone started to get sober and her resentments and her anger, and it's natural. Yeah, it's natural. It doesn't go right back to normal. It takes a bit of time. 
Yeah. And I think that that is sometimes a transition that is difficult for partners to kind of get their head around. Cause if I'm the person that's just gone through recovery, I'm like, yeah, let me show you. It's going to be different this time. And I might get my bubble burst because you're like with your fingers, you know, arms crossed, like, well, I don't know, let me see. And that creates its own dynamic, right. That you have to work through as a couple. So I think normalizing that we're both going to have our own emotions about it and they may not always line up. Doesn't mean that you don't care about each other. It's just part of the process. I'm so glad we're having this conversation. Me too. You're, it's awesome. I, I want there to be more awareness about what's happening for couples. And there's all these different aspects of why couples should go to couples therapy, right? I mean, addiction is just one small reason why, but you both are recovering from the addiction. And so you both need support. How are we going to tackle it as a team? And so I really appreciate you taking the time to kind of share your wisdom and your knowledge and your beautiful soul with us about the things that you know that you specialize in because addiction is a big part of why couples should be in therapy. So I really appreciate you taking the time. If somebody wants to reach out to you, where's the best places for them to find you? Well, if you're looking for the shamanic angle of me, it's the practicalshaman.com. And if you're looking for uh, the behavioral health side of me, you can reach out to me at uh, renee.barabo at renewalhg.com. So Either way, and if you're going to be in L.A. for our emerging themes, it's going to be April 26th through the 28th in 2023. So join us. Perfect. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a great um, symposium. So I'm glad that you guys are putting it on again. All right, my friend, thank you so much for all you do. I appreciate your time. I'm so honored to get to spend this time with you because you're great. All right, Renee, take good care of yourself. Okay, thank you. This has been the D-Spot Podcast with Dr. Dana McNeil. To learn more about Dr. Dana's practice, simply visit us at www.danamcneil.com.